Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Sina, and I love following the journeys of the young entrepreneurs. And in this episode, I spoke with Tina Chen, the founder of a plant-based tea latte drink, Humanity. Pretty cool name, isn't it? <laughs> she gave some amazing insights into how to get stocked in stores with your product, having got five new stockists just in the week that we, we spoke. Like five new ones in the middle of a pandemic as well. Like that's pretty mental to me. How also she tested her product and the advice on how you can test your food product idea because I know many of you have thought about starting a food business yourselves. Also the strategies she has used to get her foot in the door with so many retailers and eventually getting her product stocked. Great tip there, so be sure to stay tuned for that because she outlines her whole strategy, what's worked best for her, as well as you know the lessons she's learned. So yeah, massive, massive tips and insights. Great, great tips for you guys. Tina's been generous enough to give the Millennial Entrepreneur listeners, yourselves, a exclusive discount. So yeah, I will give you the discount code at the very end of the episode. So yeah, be sure to stay to the very end because her drinks have got some amazing ratings and I'm sure, yeah, they're, they're an absolute blast. Um, so yeah, that brings me to this week's shout out. So in case you don't know, every week I'm giving a shout out to one lucky reviewer of the of the podcast uh, who's left a written review on Apple Podcasts. So if you want to feature in the next episode, please be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts with your name and I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. But anyways, so this review says, always fun to listen to, ha- have been listening to this podcast for a while and I've enjoyed them all. Such a relaxed atmosphere and really helpful due to how candid all the episodes are. Some of the, the answers and the topics really helped me out when I was starting to set up my own company, Five Stars. Thank you so much, Kate Tube. I'm sorry if I've just like mispronounced that. <laughs> I don't know if it's an inside thing or whatever. But yeah, thank you so much for, for that um, lovely, lovely com- comment. And I'm really glad that you've enjoyed the episodes and they've provided such valuable insights and sort of you know tips for you to start your own business. Um, so yeah, if, if you'd like Kate want to feature in the next episode, please be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts and I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. So yeah, um, once again, stay to the very end for that discount code for humanity. And yeah, without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hey Tina, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. It's Friday evening, so ready for the weekend. It sounds like it's been pretty busy for you this week. So it sounds like, yeah, the weekend's coming, coming at a good time. Yes, it has been quite busy. Um, luckily, we got a, a few stock kits this week. So very exciting week. So yeah, looking forward to share more about that in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an area that I'd, I'd love to get into because we've had, we've had a few food businesses on, on the podcast before and, um, you know, other sort of businesses that, that, that stock in retailers. And yeah, I think that whole that whole like process is really, really interesting. And you, you, you know, you're already stocking like a, f- a few different places like, across the UK. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to, to go into that further down the line in the podcast for sure. But I guess starting off, it would be amazing to kind of introduce like, what is it that you do? Because, you know, we've had food businesses on the podcast before a lot. And I really, I really like your, your brand and everything that you've done. You've been going for a few years now. So yeah, what, what is humanity all about? Yeah, so I started Humanity two years ago now after I finished my MBA at Imperial College Business School. And there I took a lot of courses around innovation, sustainability, and social impact. And that gave me the interest of starting a social enterprise, not just a regular business, but a business with profit, with purpose. And so I set up Humanity to support well-being and sustainability initiatives through our oat milk tea lattes. And why particularly tea? It's not just because my name is Tina and I used to work in IT, 
But uh, really, I, I love drinking tea, and I grew up drinking milk tea as a Taiwanese-American, and I wanted to bring the bubble tea concept into a ready-to-drink convenience environment. And when I did further research into this market, I found that in the UK, there's a lot of coffee lattes, but there's really no tea lattes. And the teas that, and the soft drinks that I was seeing in the supermarkets had a lot of sugar, and so I wanted to create something that would tackle the problem of obesity causing sugary soft drinks by creating a natural uh, drink. And our oat milk tea lattes focus around using ethically sourced tea. It's low sugar, it's low calorie, and it's free from additives. So yeah, it's something that provides natural energy without the crash of coffee caffeine. Yeah, I mean, that that's something that I guess, I mean, so many people drink iced iced coffee and, and like the iced lattes and stuff that you can buy in supermarkets. But I've never seen, I've never seen like an iced tea latte, you know, ready to drink in supermarkets. And I guess, why do you, why do you think that is? Like, I, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit confusing, I guess. Yeah, I actually learned a bit more about tea market in the UK when I was selling in farmer's market. And I think the tea market in UK is still growing. It's relatively uh, smaller compared to coffee in terms of ready-to-drink sector because people are used to drinking hot tea versus cold tea in the UK. So yeah, it's definitely still growing. But with the rise of kombucha and like people's interest in like matcha, for example, I think the iced tea market is rapidly growing and uh, will become bigger like Germany and France and US. I guess for you starting out as a tea brand, as an iced tea brand within the UK, did you face any kind of like pushback, I guess, at the beginning? Like, did you think that the market might have been too small, even though it was kind of poised for growth? Was there any level of like apprehension there? Like, did you, that there wasn't any other brands? Yes. So actually when I was selling in farmer's markets, I did get feedback from some people saying that they are not used to drinking cold tea because just traditionally they always drink tea hot. So yes, definitely changing consumer mindset is a challenge, but I've been able to find our niche in the market as of now because uh, I'm targeting a lot of oriental supermarkets as well as vegan shops. And those have been selling relatively well because people are already familiar with the concept of milk tea so like Taiwanese style bubble tea and there's no need for that consumer education and also for the vegan um, supermarkets people are interested in oat milk products or anything alternative to dairy they're you know very eager to try so for those markets, we've been doing quite well. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I mean, you've been doing, yeah, you've been doing very well because like you were saying before we hit record that you've, you've landed like five uh, stockists within like the last week, which is which is crazy. We're definitely going to talk about that a bit later on. But in terms of, I guess, when you had the idea of where to go into this market and the brand that you wanted to create, how do you kind of like do product iteration? Like how do you create the products and stuff like that? that like I assume you did it out of your own house, right? I've took quite a organic growth approach. I see some businesses, they go uh, very fast track. So they move from idea to get going to a factory very fast. So within a few months and they hire people to do the product development for them. But I decided to take a more slow approach. So I did do a lot of the development in my home kitchen at the beginning. So once I source the ingredients and just testing out different flavors 
And actually, we started with not just oat milk, but I was traveling with almond milk as well. And also another tea, which is rooibos tea. So yeah, like trying different flavors and just mixing the the ingredients and seeing the brew times and also like how much agave and sweetener to add to create like a flavorful but not too sweet beverage. And yeah, so a lot of the development was in-house. And then later on, when I started selling in farmer's markets, I needed to get the business license to trade as food business. So I rented a commercial kitchen and got approved by the environmental health officer. You know, you get a rating. And so I got a rating of four, which is the highest. And then I started trading in farmer's markets, like Borough Market, Chelsea Market. And I think the best way really to see if there's demand for your product is when people part ways with their money. So by selling in a farmer's market, it's an easy way to test if there is a market. And when I was making sales and getting customer feedback in person, that was really useful and allowed me to create versions of the product. So better on the development of the flavors when people told me like they wanted more sweet or less sweet, more tea, less tea. And at the end, we decided to go with oat milk, for example, because the almond milk was just not pairing enough uh, very well with the tea and it was overpowering and oat milk had a better balance. That's really interesting. So I guess you went through a lot of different iterations of the flavors and different like products until you got to the one that you have now. I'm really interested to like how you you ended up like selling in farmers markets. I know it's a very popular route to, I guess, getting feedback and getting early initial sales. How did that whole process come about and how did it all work? At the beginning, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do farmers markets, but it was recommended by um, the Enterprise Lab, which is at Imperial. They coach students who want to start companies and they said, why not try farmers markets first? You know, don't take that big risk of spending and thousands on a manufacturing run, see if there is a market for it. So I decided to take that route, which was a really good route for me because I got to understand that better. And the process of going to farmer's markets is relatively straightforward. You just need to get your insurance in place. So most of the markets will require public liability, product liability insurance and uh, employee liability if there's anyone helping you. And you also need to get that environmental health officers approval so you get that rating uh, to trade as a food business and so once you have all those in place really you just need the the products on that day a big smile a welcoming friendly smile um, to bring in the customers and then you can sample which is really great because then people get to try the products before purchasing and so yeah in general the, the process is really more more or less straightforward and the the reward is great because you get to meet your consumers face to face and you get to build up that community on your social media platforms as you trade at the farmer's market how easy well yeah you talked about the legal requirements and like all of the, all of the stuff around that but i guess in terms of like costing is it is it expensive to try out your product at these farmers markets no it's probably the cheapest way to see if there's demand for your market and that's why you see a lot of small producers selling at farmers markets and the great thing about being in london is that there's so many different areas of london with their own farmers markets and they bring in different types of uh, communities and you can see which farmers markets are more, uh, bring customers that are more interested in your product versus others. 
So I was trading in like uh, Chelsea market, for example, but I also did some in like Hearn Hill and Borough Market and different locations. And that was really great to hear different feedback from different communities around London. Yeah, well, I mean, Bor- I, I used to work next to Borough Market and it's so it's so busy there. So I guess like I, I imagined in my mind that it was like crazy expensive for a trader to go there because like the, the footfall is, is kind of crazy. No, I think uh, so they have a program called Food Futures and they were bringing in new uh, food and drink companies. And that was a partnership with London Agri-Food Innovation Clinic, which is through South Bank University. And that's also an EU-funded program. So the partnership brought in companies like myself um, to trade in the farmer's markets. And that price was actually covered by the EU-funded program. But afterwards, I also went back to trade there on my own. And the price is around, I think, 40 to 60 pounds, depending on the day. So it's definitely very affordable. 40 to 60 pounds for the whole day? Mm. Wow. That's really surprised me. Wow. Like, Borough, you could, you could you could make that back within, like, less than an hour. Easy. I think maybe perhaps that was the pricing for the food futures. But I'm not sure for the regular stalls. But I do know that um, it is not too expensive. And usually, like, even the ones in, like, Chelsea Market, for example, I think that was 50 or 60 pounds as well. I haven't had to pay over 60 pounds for any stalls so far. We learned about how Tina started her journey of, you know, starting humanity and all that stuff. But I really wanted to move on to retailers now and how she actually got stocked in so many. I mean, the, the week that we talked, she got stocked in five different retailers in, in one week. Like, that's crazy. In the middle of a pandemic as well. Like, I don't know, that, that's, that's kind of mind blowing to me. So I really wanted to ask her, you know, how that whole process came about and also any advice to you guys who are looking for, you know, stocking your product, whether it's food or whether it's, you know, anything else in a retailer, how the whole process works, as well as tips and advice that she's picked up along the way. Yeah, so the retailers come because of various like weeks of (laughs) reaching out. So it just happened that this week, many of them decided to place the order. So the, the initial conversations did start a while back. And I think that's the part of sales that Yes, you make that first initial contact and perhaps they never see the message or they don't respond, but you reach out again. If you are proactive and if you don't give up, you will get a response at the end. And there's many ways of reaching out to retailers. So for example, you can reach out by email, you can reach out by direct message on social media platforms. You can even try to reach out to the the owner of the store through LinkedIn, which is, you know, various, various ways of reaching out. And you can also call the store and you can go in person to the store and then drop off samples. But um, yeah, those are various ways that I've tried reaching out to a store. But I always try to offer samples for the, the owner or the manager to try because once they try the product, if they like it, then they will place the order. So that's a good way, especially for product-based business where someone can try to provide some samples for the team to try and see if they're interested in placing the order. But I say the whole sales process can be from, you know, one week, like very fast. They like the product, they place the order to a few months before they place the order. So it just depends on the type of retailer and at what stage um, they're looking to place the order because maybe their fridge, like I sell drinks, so maybe their fridge is full for the moment or 
because of lockdown, they're not getting as much footfall. So once lockdown's over, they're ready to place the order. But I, I think in general, as a person, as a founder, as a business owner, if you really believe in your products, just don't give up, go out there and continue pushing. But also don't be too pushy because the, that might annoy the retailer. So it's like finding that balance, like, okay, I, I put in my calendar, I reach out to them on this date, I will follow up again in two weeks and uh, follow up again in two weeks, for example, and then I will call them next time. So, or I might go in person if, as a as a follow-up. So just um, being patient, but also being proactive. I mean, there's, there's kind of two things that I really want to like pick out of that. And I think like you mentioned the different strategies that, that people can use to get their products within stores and retailers. So you mentioned like, yeah, actually going into the store, talking to the manager, you can message them on LinkedIn, email, cool. Like there's so many different strategies of getting in contact with anyone, right? I guess for you, what's what's been the, the best strategy that you've used that you've seen like the best results from? I think it's a combination of three probably. So I think direct message through social media like Instagram is quite good. And the second one is actually going in person because they get to try the products right away instead of me sending it, which might take a few days. Um, it's direct, like I'm there in person, they get to ask me questions. And it also puts a face to the brand and to the to the drinks. And the third one I'd say is uh, email. So email is good because I think a lot of people still communicate via email and that's preferred. But as a follow-up to the email, I think phone call is always good as well because then you can say, oh, you know, I sent an email, I'm following up on that email and this is a phone call and then they can refer back because sometimes I think if it's just a phone call, they might they might actually just say, oh, can you email me? Which does happen because they, they are in the middle of, you know, maybe there's customers coming in and they're in the middle of, helping people uh, transact. So they're quite busy. So if you can uh, send an email with all the details and then follow up with a call, I think that's also a, a good strategy. I think for anyone like listening who who's like wanting to start a food business, and I think like many, many people are, right? It's, it's something that a lot of people, you know, have a have a dream to do. And I think when, when it comes to retailers and stocking within retailers, it's seen as something, I guess, you know, really far down the line or it's seen like a very, very aspirational. So I guess like, when do you feel like it's ready for upcoming brands? You know, what stage, what stage do they have to be at to be ready to actually get into that retailer? Yeah, I don't think it's something like too early. You don't need to wait until you're a very, very established brand. So I do think you can start reaching out to retailers at an early stage. But most importantly, what the retailer will want from you is that you're, if you're selling food or drink, is that it's safe for the consumers. That's always priority. Like, yes, like branding is important. It looks nice on shelf, um, packaging, etc. But your food item needs to be 100% safe because the risk of someone getting sick from it is going to be costly for the store. It's going to be costly for you as a business. And it, it's just something that you do not want. And you also don't want to harm other you know, consumers because they consumed your product. So yeah, getting that 100% right is, is very, very key. So uh, if you are producing by yourself, then you probably would get a salsa certification or you could also get a contract manufacturer that has salsa. The, the, the biggest uh, certification, the most um, 
I guess, accepted by major supermarkets would be BRC. So BRC certification means that you can sell into weight rolls, et cetera, at least big supermarkets. And so getting at least salsa is required, I would say. And it, I don't think it's required by all retailers because some smaller ones might accept it without salsa. But for your own like sake, I say go, go for at least salsa because that will make sure that your food um, is safe to consume. And then also the labeling, make sure that your labels are correct and has a barcode. So you can get a barcode through GS1 UK. So that's the barcode that scans your product and you know goes into the system so they know that someone has made the purchase. And then the nutritional info ingredients is very important because you need to note the allergens. So if, any, if you have an eating that has, um, consider the major allergens in the UK, you have to noted and for example we use oats so i have oats noted on the ingredients list as an allergen so yeah i think those are very important things and they're more important than than taste and packaging <laughs> because at the end the safety of the consumer is number one yeah i mean those those are kind of aspects i suppose like they're a bit overlooked because they're not like this the sexy parts of of running a food business i guess but they're like equally if not you know actually much more you know far more important than I guess the other parts, right? Like you don't want to go into a food into a retailer and and not have those things, you know, sorted out. Yes, like that's what I mean. So you can have the you can have a very basic logo and it might not look very flashy, but if you get those things sorted, you can still sell into stores and you can rebrand in the later time when you get more money as well because branding can cost a lot, but. For example, I found a really good uh, freelance graphic designer and she has helped me a lot. So I think there's various uh, ways to, to do the branding without going with a big company. And her name is Hannah Muir. So yeah, like she does a lot of food and drink brands. So in terms of, in terms of retailers, you must have got, you must have got no's quite a lot, right? <laughs> so I guess like, how do you, how do you kind of target retailers to go to and how do you kind of like, I don't know, how do you find a retailer that you want, they want to target? Yeah, I do get a lot of no's, but I think no's are as equally useful as yes, because it helps me understand why they said no. I always ask for feedback, like what's the reason and there's various reasons. Sometimes it's around taste. The the owner just doesn't like the taste. Or sometimes it's that their store doesn't doesn't necessarily want to stock a, a drink product at this time because it's um, like out of home sales are decreasing in some areas, for example. And um, yeah, there are just various reasons why people say no. And it helps me understand more about my product as well and also which stores to target better. So over over the last two months, I reached out to many different types of stores just to just to get feedback and like send samples and it helped me understand more about which stores sell better in. So for example, cafes have not been as well because a lot of the cafes they make their own lattes, for example, like they can do matcha latte in house. So they don't see the point of buying a tea product when they can just make it in their own cafe. So that's one example. So that means as a business, I know to target less cafes. Um, another one is restaurants, like restaurants don't really see that they want to have the drinks in a, in a sit down setting. So when the restaurant open, they don't see the canned drinks being in a sit down setting. So they said 
you you should probably go more towards grocery setting, convenience setting. And I do agree with that at the at the end because we have been much more successful with the retailers from grocery setting and convenience setting. So it just makes sense that we focus more on that area. And yeah, so it's just staying positive and understanding which retailers to reach out to and which ones will be successful in. Yeah, that's really good advice. And you said, so you said something earlier about, so, I mean, this whole conversation about approaching a retailer and I'm interested to, and, and like the criteria before, before doing that. And like, we talked about health and safety, but I'm also interested in it with like scale. So like in terms of how, you know, at what stage a food business needs to be before they can approach a retailer, and I guess scale is something that they would, you know, is important, right? So you, you can't, so like maybe you have to have the manufacturing sorted before you can go to a retailer. Like what's, what's your experience been like in terms of, in terms of that? So I think most important is getting the, the safety that I had mentioned before, because for example, I was already selling my products that I was uh, making by hand in a commercial kitchen in farmer's markets on delivery Uber Eats and also um, at my university at Imperial College London. This is all before going into manufacturing. So like manufacturing with a factory, I mean. So I don't think there's really too early as long as you get those safety issues sorted. So I've rebranded already three times and the first two designs was done by myself with friends. So those were all done in-house. But I think most importantly is that you get the safety standards up to date and make sure that the allergens are noted. So I don't think that's too early. And also, I think you asked me earlier, like how I find certain shops. It's because I do, like I walk around and I also see like which stores I think would fit our products because on the foot is always useful as well because you get that visualization. But another way I also find stores is that uh, similar challenger brands where they're selling their products that share similar values as our brand. I feel like, it would make sense to also reach out to those retailers because they've stocked products that share similar values to us. So that's how I've been targeting it. Oh, well, if we're talking about big ones like um, Sainsbury's and Tesco, Ocado, for example, yes, those do take much longer than um, a smaller retailer, uh, independent, let's say. And the reason is just because uh, a larger store like Sainsbury's, they have many, many uh, outlets and they also have many brands reaching out to them. And there's a lot of uh, people involved, like many different buyers. And so the process just takes longer versus if it's uh, independent, it's perhaps the, the person in the shop is actually the owner. So they can be the sole decision maker and you're not going through a lot of uh, different people before the final decision is made. So yeah, that's that's the difference in terms of time scale. But I say as a brand, you can do both. You can reach out to independents and you can also reach out to larger retailers, which is what we're doing. But just for the larger retailers, it can take, you know, six, six plus months before something, um, you know, a meeting occurs, for example. So that's why you can't just keep on waiting for the big retailers and you still need to be doing the day-to-day activities or reaching out to independents because they're just as important. A uh, hundred independents is the same as, you know, a hundred um, stores of Sainsbury's. 
It's just you need to you need to work harder because you're dealing with a hundred different people versus just one company. We actually had someone on the podcast before uh, who just recently got her iced coffee drink into into Holland and Barrett. So I remember she she mentioned the whole story behind that, and obviously at the time she couldn't mention their name, but um, now now it's been released and it's all it's all public, but. She was mentioning like it took a long, it took a long, long time before, and it took a few no's as well. They, she had to like persuade them to carry on the conversation and stuff. So it, the conversation took so, so long, and like she, I think it maybe took a year to the point that she's she's finally stocking in in a few of their stores now. Yeah, so I think it's finding that balance. Like, yes, like you can wait until a big retailer says yes before production, but you can also start with smaller independents and continue reaching out to larger retailers and I think that's a good balance to have both and I see a lot of successful brands that are in, in big retailers but they're also in independence and I think that's that's the key to find both you know to enter both of these avenues so I guess I guess to wrap up the podcast where do you kind of see the the future of humanity like where do you kind of see it growing in the future are you going to go after the big retailers like where do you where do you see it in the future yeah so I have reached out to the larger retailers like Whole Foods and um yeah other supermarkets like Ocado the vegan kind and I just think that I will continue the conversations with them because the buyers do respond if you send emails and you can contact them on LinkedIn. So I have re- received responses from them. And I think it's a matter of carrying on. And also a lot of the larger uh, supermarkets, they want to see that you're having good rate of sale in independence before they take on your brand into their supermarkets because of risk factors. So if you can prove to them that you have, you know, 50 independents that are regularly buying your products and your rate of sale is actually really good. Like, you know, for them to take your product on, it's almost a no-brainer because they're taking low risk because you've already shown that your product is popular in the market and there is demand for your product. That's a, that's a great message to end on. I guess, like, do you have any other tips for, for getting into a retailer, whether it is a food brand, whether it's any other brand, you know, um, doesn't have to be in food. It can be in anything else. You've already given like so much value in terms of that. But do you have any other like comments on it? Yeah, I just want to say be definitely be uh, confident and be positive because it's normal to get no's, especially in sales and like outreach to retailers. But if you yeah, really believe in your product, it will come through, especially when you pitch it to the retailers. They will see that you're very passionate about your business. And that's actually a really strong selling point because a lot of independent businesses and as well as larger ones, they want to support the founders behind the businesses because you know these, these founders have strong values for their business in being a social enterprise or having positive social environmental impact with their business. So... Yeah, like just continue pushing through and stay positive and your business will grow. All right. Thank you so much, Tina, for, for coming on the podcast. It was, it's been such a pleasure having you on. And I, I know loads of people will, will get a lot of value from our, from our conversation today. How can people stay in touch with you and, and humanity going into the future? Yeah, so, well, thank you everyone for listening, first of all. So, <laughs> yeah, great to have you here on the podcast. And um, yeah, best to stay in touch is through our social media. So you can find us on Instagram at Humanity Drinks. 
And you can also uh, find me on LinkedIn. So I'm just Tina Chen. I'm Chief Tea Officer of Humanity. And yeah, those are the best platforms to find me on. And you can also check out our website. And our website is humanity.co.uk. And there you can try our matcha green tea and classic Earl Grey oat milk tea lattes. Or you can visit one of the 25 plus stores that we have in London and in the UK. And that's continuing to grow. And you can see our stockist section on Instagram as well as on our website. Amazing. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, for anyone listening, check those out. Uh, it's, a, it's a brand that I've, you know, I've seen grow massively since I followed you, Tina. And like, I, I, don't, I only see it, you know, growing even further. So it's a very exciting journey that I'd love for everyone to, to keep track of. So yeah, thank you. Thank you again, Tina. And um, yeah, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Yeah, see you soon. Have a nice weekend. Thank you so much for staying to the very end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Millennial Entrepreneur. It really means a lot that you stayed until the very end. If you did enjoy, please be sure to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts because it helps me out, you know, beyond uh, your imagination. It really does help me out. And if you do leave a, leave a review, I will give you a shout out in the next episode as, as a form of saying thank you. And also, as promised, Tina was kind enough to give us a discount code. So if you are interested and really want to check it out, so... The discount code is startup15, so startup15, and it will give you 15% off any online web order on the website. So also I'll put the um, the code and the website in the description so you don't, you don't have to listen to my voice again to type it in so you can just copy and paste it. So yeah, uh, check it out. And yeah, if you did enjoy this episode, again, please be sure to leave a five-star written review. It helps me out so, so much. Thanks so much for listening again, and I'll see you in the next episode.